You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, I'm here with Ben Halpern, who is the creator of Dev.2. Uh, ben is also a developer. Ben, do you want to say hi and talk about what you do? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to be on. I'm Ben. I created this website called Dev2, and we're a community for software developers everywhere, really trying to help everybody um, publish, reach community, and grow their careers. Cool. Yeah, personally, I'm, I'm a user of Dev2, and I, I really enjoy using the site and think it's a pretty cool niche site i actually usually describe it to people as being a step between twitter and medium it's like really focused on developers which is super cool yeah i mean i think it came out of uh the fact that you know i noticed people were using twitter and medium and and thought uh this is really a pattern in software development it's never going to go away that we're going to need these online resources and community and we need to sort of all be on the same page and learn from one another so uh if twitter and medium weren't already kind of, you know, becoming useful for software developers at such a, uh, a great pace, uh, probably wouldn't have come up with this site in the first place. Mm-hmm. Cool. So just to get kind of the ball rolling, Ben, do you want to talk about what exactly got you interested in software as a career field and technology and, and how you ended up doing that for a living? Yeah, I think uh, when I was younger, I, I was drawn to the creative aspects of computers. Uh, I don't think we even always had a computer at home, but you know, they they were starting to become such a big thing when I was younger, and um, and the web. And as soon as I found out it was possible to make websites, like you know, as soon as, I don't, I don't know, it didn't occur to me until I found <laughs> out that like this is a thing like someone can do. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was pretty young, you know, like, uh, 12 or so. Um, and that's when I first got, you know, really, uh, um, felt empowered and felt creative and felt like, uh, this was a a really fascinating use of my time and and really fun. Um, and so that's when I really first started being interested in technology and computers. Um, but I didn't necessarily treat it as my main thing or my, my main craft or passion for, for a while. I was kind of in and out. Like I knew how to make websites. I, I never stopped really doing that here and there. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, wasn't until after I graduated college and really didn't like, um, my, you know, first job, which wasn't in software development that I finally decided I'm going to like do this as my full-time thing forever. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I dabbled in, in software development and computers and in computer science a little bit, but, um, yeah, it wasn't until like realizing I didn't want to do the other stuff that I, uh, that I settled on having to like really, really learn the craft. Was that like an obvious path for you? Did you have that first job and think, wow, this sucks. I'm going to go make websites or did you kind of walk into building websites for money? Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose uh, now that I think about it, it wasn't uh, very obvious. I was also considering doing uh, screenwriting, although that was like always kind of a pipe dream because I don't think that's a very easy industry to break into. But I really like, mm. uh, I really like uh, you know TV and cinema and stuff uh, and, and comedy. Um, but the 
Um, but I knew I had this kind of skill. I, I, I had been building some some WordPress sites here and there, like as a as a way to make money. Um, didn't really see myself as like a full time software engineer. I think like I knew uh, I had you know put some things together. I knew how to code. I I, I just didn't see you know like envisioning myself as kind of like a more general creative type. Um, it didn't occur to me to like really, really learn how to code like uh, professionally. But mm-hmm. once once I realized that like I was, uh, you know, in the professional world, I felt like uh, if I didn't have like that was the skill that really was going to enable me to do what I wanted to do and not to kind of answer to somebody else or kind of work my way up on on other sort of like pseudo creative jobs like I really felt like it was the only way where I could really express myself um fully and uh yeah and I I got got tired of like having to rely on other software developers to kind of help me you know and you know see my vision through like I kind of um I I had to pull off the band-aid and really figure out how how these machines uh you know really made things how things really got done and um mm-hmm. and that uh that's when i yeah that's when i just dedicated a, a lot of time to um to gaining the skills where i could work as a full-time software developer and then go from there yeah i think one of the things that i find really interesting about you is that you call yourself a webmaster of dev.2 and i think that like speaks to the more like interdisciplinary stuff that you probably do um can you kind of speak to that and talk about like why why you use that title? Um, yeah, I mean, I think part of me I use that title as like a like um as a counterculture reference a little bit. You know, I feel like uh, um, I'm the founder of a startup, and but I, I I really feel like you know my tasks is is you know classic webmaster kind of stuff. I think like it's a throwback idea to when the web was uh, a little simpler. It wasn't running the world. And, um, and yeah, it's like, I never, uh, it really still feels like the same sort of thing I'm doing now. Um, my job is to help the the websites, um, technology work properly, but also have the community work properly, have the team work properly. And, uh, and webmaster seemed like that, that role, like still made sense where and we're like a web first shop. We use web technologies first and foremost. Um, and, uh, you know, when I first got into GeoCities, I feel like webmaster was just what people called themselves. And I don't know why that changed. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, I, I'm, yeah, proud to, proud to call myself a webmaster. And um, I feel like other people should too. Uh, it's, a, it's an appropriate title um, for... Uh, the administrator and sort of builder of, of, of anything we do on the web, as long as you're sort of committed to just seeing it through. What was the transition like going from someone who was writing software, probably as the majority of your work to someone who's now kind of orchestrating a community? Um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like, a, it was a, it was a transition from software as a um as a thing i did in a somewhat like kind of like more constrained way to uh, a thing i did in order to specifically kind of like you know get things done the way i wanted to in the world like 
uh, our mandate as a company is to uh, is to you know see a few a few good ideas through about about what the world um, how the world software industry should work. But mm-hmm. um, within that, it's like a vessel for creativity, and uh, I think that's a change over past jobs where you know my job was to kind of implement the um, the the business product um, and. Uh, I, I've, I rarely had overly, um, you know, bureaucratic jobs. I've always, I've always worked at small companies where I never felt like I was strictly, um, you know, just implementing a spec, but, uh, yeah, the, the transition to really, um, working full time on a, on a cool idea that was once just a cool idea, um, is, uh, yeah, it's very freeing and it's also kind of scary and and it's also, you know, means I constantly have to transition my role and uh I mean just today I have like, you know, a handful of issues I'm closing like in my code writing part. I'm trying to kind of coordinate with like uh, you know, a potential kind of like techn- technical partnership we're working on just to kind of like build some APIs other companies need to use kind of on the fly and then I'm al- I was also uh, tasked with kind of writing some copy for like another thing we were releasing. So it really just changes all the time. And I, I, uh, it's, um, it's hard to get into that pure software mindset anymore. And I might be kind of gone forever from like, uh, from being able to like really just get deep into like the nuances of software development, even though I'm always around it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of curious about maybe not so much your, your journey from, being someone who wrote code into being someone who's running a company, but just the maybe maybe the path that you followed to come up with this idea of running a website that facilitates other developers. How did you? Oh yeah. How did you like settle on that idea and then really invest in building it? Um. Yeah. So, I guess. Uh, I guess I never really like was super specific about it. I, I didn't realize till after that this is kind of a similar idea I've been working on for. Uh, for like most of my life in some capacity. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it was a series of kind of realizations about just like, you know, where the industry was going, uh, the need for inclusion, the, um, you know, uh, a self-awareness about like where I was going with my career and how other people, um, and how, you know, how difficult some of these community dynamics and resources were to come by. And, and so like, that sort of became a big part of what I cared about, which wasn't necessarily, I think a lot of people care about that. I think um, a lot of our, our early members really especially care about that. Um, but that's a big step from actually kind of getting something like this off the ground. And uh, what what I decided was that uh, I was going to start working on a project in this kind of space. And the big realization, like the big difference between any other attempt I've done in the past or, or other sort of things is that I I decided that I wasn't going to stop working on it until it was successful or 10 years had passed. So I basically started with just the idea that I could take as long as I wanted on this. And if in 10 years it wasn't going anywhere, I'd give up. So that was, uh, um, hold on. Yeah, that was about five years ago. And it started, you know, I registered the Twitter account, the practical dev. That was the only thing I did for the project. And, uh, mm-hmm. I really started 
just experimenting with like sharing resources. Um, I got into just more, you know, uh, satirical editorial kind of stuff around software development, really trying to like drill down into what people were feeling about their careers, their code, um, you know, the, the sort of day-to-day uh, silliness of, of software sometimes, how like, uh, you know, some random uh, event can bring down your site or like, you know, Amazon S3 goes down. It's a big, it's a whole chaotic mess. Like the real like mm-hmm. down, down to earth stuff was always more interesting to me than like, uh, than the kind of like platitudes people talk about when they get up on stage and, and some of these, you know, some of these corporate events or like even really just any software conference. I think, uh, you know, separating like what's actually going on from the sort of fairy tale uh, we paint around around coding and coders and software and stuff like that. Um, it was, so yeah, like I gave myself 10 years to figure it out and uh, gradually the sort of pieces started coming together. It started gaining more momentum and it started to realize, it started to seem like something I could uh, devote more time to and uh, and really um, lean into, you know, I learned so much along the way, developed sort of a voice, like uh, learned um, learned what it took in some little ways, kind of borrowed ideas from past little like entrepreneurial ventures I'd done. And mm-hmm. uh, so gave myself more and more permission to sort of pursue this. Um, I met Jess Lee, who was my first co-founder in this venture, and she uh, she like really complimented my skill set. You know, it's hard to say uh, I'd be I'd have dived, you know, as fully into this without finding, you know, uh, the people um, to really help it happen. And then Peter Frank, who I'd been working with before this, um, that was sort of like when we really made it official when he came on and we started working full time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been a just a series of discoveries and a series of, uh, of really, you know, fun situations or you know, opportunities to really help people and, and the kind of uh, the sort of emails we get occasionally where somebody kind of describes that, like, you know, they've really, you know, their career, their, like, their sense of community, their, like, you know, the the fact that we've, like, had a meaningful impact on, on anybody is pretty remarkable, but the mm-hmm. uh, the scale that it's gotten to uh, is is pretty, pretty cool, and I feel like we still have our soul, we still care about the mission, um, mm-hmm. we've turned into a company, um, without, you know, like losing what was fun about it or, or losing an idea that it's really for the community and stuff like that. So, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's the journey. And, uh, it started with like a humble sort of idea, but, and, and it's still like, we still try to realize that, you know, it could, it could all kind of come apart if we don't keep, uh, keep our eyes on the prize and just, uh, focus on the community. Sure. Part of the reason why I learned to write code was to build things for myself and to maybe build companies at some point. How did you go? Obviously, you had that as a goal. You wanted to, like you said, build things for yourself. But how did you go from I had this idea in this Twitter account to uh, meeting Jess and saying this is a person that I want to build a company with? How did you, as a as a technical person, find someone to complement your skill sets and take that person on as a founder? What was that process like, and and how did you make that decision? Yeah. Um... I mean, so I'd had, I'd done other little projects. I'd been working um, in an entrepreneurial capacity with Peter already. Um, and uh, at this point, it was still sort of a side project. So 
I was still working on the company I was doing um, with Peter. Um, and I'd also had a, a few other side projects, you know, kind of reflective of a, uh, a an unfocused entrepreneur with a few things going on. And um, it had, you know, brought in people that like really weren't the right people to complement my skills, like really not realizing um, that it was more about how we got along and how we, um, you know, how I could trust people to, to really uh, put in a, you know, the right uh, type of care into projects long term. It wasn't just about, you know, people's, uh, um, what they were like on paper, or like, you know, so really, like, there's a sense of trust. I met Jess, she, uh, she was looking for software development mentorship. Um, I met her through a friend. And she she just wanted to get involved in, in something to help her, um, you know, advance her own skills in, in software. Uh, and we're, we both come from like communities where we're not surrounded by a million software developers, you know, like, Mm-hmm. My, I met her through a friend who just kind of knew me as that one person who writes code. So you should meet him. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just happened to have this and then a couple other little like projects on the go and just, uh, just lent a hand. And then it was pretty, there was a pretty quick sense of trust and also a sense that, uh, that Jess really embodied the archetype of, you know, the kind of people we were trying to help with dev. So, um, by this point, I felt like I, um, you know, had overcome um, a certain sense of imposter syndrome or, you know, not like entirely, but like, I, I felt like I was sort of <laughs> through the looking glass a little bit and looking and Jess, mm-hmm. Jess, uh, coming from, you know, a pretty non-traditional background, um, you know, a woman of color in tech and, and just like uh, really had a... Uh, um, a lot of lived experience that was incredibly relevant, um, both to the success of the business. I think her background in, um, as a career switcher, having done, um, you know, just like good professional work for a few years and then got into software development and and really like, uh, on on so many levels just seemed, um, seemed like a, a great fit. And then, uh, that, yeah, like I, we had to give it, give that time. I think like the, you know, going back to the idea of giving myself 10 years to figure that out, it also meant that I didn't rush into like finding other people to help me for a while. It was like, uh, I think like, you know, two and a half years, maybe or two years or something before um, Jess even, you know, found out about this or before I even met her. And then uh, I was already working with Peter. And then it was another six months or so before we, uh, we sort of switched gears and, and um, we together turned it into like a real uh company with the three of us as co-founders um so mm-hmm. you know patience i think and, and understanding like you know the value of of, of trust and, and getting along and like um you know having somewhat complementary skills but i don't think that's as important as like uh as just um you know that that trust dynamic and then also like finding people who are different i think like peter jess and i like really are really not the kind of people who like um, watch the exact same shows, you know, do the, all the things together. Like I think like some of our friends groups that we each hang out with, like we're, we don't like go to each other's hangout sessions and have a lot of fun. Like we, we roll in different crowds and Mm -hmm. um, the, so 
the dynamic is really good in that sense. Like, uh, we get along in the ways that are important, but we're very different in, in ways that add a ton of diversity, I think a ton of um, different perspectives in the whole thing. And, and we think like that's truly an unfair advantage we have against some of these tech companies with a, with a monoculture. And, uh, um, and these were things, you know, like I had in the back of my mind, but also just needed to find people I trusted. So um, having those things work out, I think, is a recipe for success if you can, you know, stay getting along with your co-founders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a maybe proclivity is the right word, but there's a kind of a, a tendency for people to try to build companies with uh, their friends and with people they like and people they already know, which it sounds like you know, you, you do get along with these people you've built your company with, but that's not the reason you chose them as co-founders. And that's, that's interesting. So how long have you, or did you consciously want to build a, a team of people that weren't like you, or is that something that just happened and you're, you're just benefiting from it now? Um, yeah, I mean, that was pretty, pretty conscious. Um, although I don't think, uh, you know, early on I had too much of an idea about, um, you know, the, really long-term team building approach, but I, I knew I wanted to be surrounded by, uh, by people who were, um, you know, not just like me because, you know, for one thing, I think like, uh, I need, um, I need people in my life that are like more organized than myself. I'm terrible with terrible with calendars and email and getting back to people. And like, I'm like, you know, if I'm engaged in a conversation on email, like I can, keep it up but uh i I have a tendency to uh sort of drop the ball on those things um a little bit too often and um you know and then i have a lot of other skills which i you know really bring to the table and i'm better than other people at but um so just on the skill set thing i knew i needed a fair amount of diversity because um another Mm -hmm. person who was like me in terms of like maybe the the creativity and the tech side of things um would not have been all that helpful if we, if none of us could uh, remember to pay our bills and answer emails and stuff. Um, (laughs) But then, yeah, like for a few years, I think like before that I'd really bought into the idea that I wanted to consciously um, reach outside my bubble as much as possible in my friend groups, in my, um, in my life. I lived in New York city. I think there's a lot of opportunity to meet anyone in the world from a different background, from a different perspective. And, um, and I'd really gotten into my habit of like, uh, of really gotten into the habit of, um, of just saying yes to interesting conversations with interesting people and, and meeting, meeting folks from, from all over the place. And, um, you know, probably helped, you know, that, that bias towards like wanting to meet people who were from, uh, from different backgrounds and different places and, and things like that probably helped me like say yes when when through a friend someone asked if like if you want to help uh, if you want to meet this person is looking for a mentor um, this like interest in just meeting people and um, expanding my own sort of circles um, yeah helped me say yes to more opportunities and then like and then I felt like once it came time to um, to, you know, find friend, find help from people, you know, get Jess's help, get other people's help. Uh, I had this big network of like people with all sorts of different perspectives and backgrounds and stuff. And, and like, I'd met more people in tech this way. I'd met more people outside of tech. Um, 
So it was like this little project that had nothing to do with dev or, or anything like that, but um, just like a conscious like habit of building my network in, in kind of more interesting ways than might happen if you're not deliberate about it. Um, so that mm -hmm. sort of converged. I think like that that helped me really want to to pursue this project because you know as, on a personal level I, I'd been wanting to be more inclusive in my life and my professional life especially. And um, so this seemed like a chance to like really do something about it, like have a positive impact on, on other people, maybe wanting to reach outside their bubble or bring more people into what is a really fascinating career of software development. And uh, all these kind of topics are, are run together, but I, I tend to, um, yeah, I tend to like do a bunch of things at once. So I felt like I had a lot of different little, little things going on in, in my life with this general theme. And uh, the nice thing is that this really helped um, pull it together and let me, you know, make it my full time job. Mm -hmm. There's a few things you've mentioned that I kind of want to ask about. But one that came up uh, a couple of questions ago, you, you talked about kind of coming through the experience of imposter syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about like, when you felt that and how you felt like you overcame it? Yeah. I mean, I think most people in tech are pretty insecure because there's just so much opportunity to be like totally wrong about something without realizing it. Um, <laughs> and we, we just like are like everyone just is always super duper insecure all the time. Like I rarely, I'm always surprised if I meet people in tech who are not like, on some level really insecure um uh mm -hmm. either you're insecure in a way where you like uh are nervous that you don't know things like really like explicit imposter syndrome or there's kind of the other direction where you're like uh um where you project a certain expertise um out of insecurity which maybe if you're being honest you can kind of say like I, I know some of this stuff pretty well and here's where I'm like totally, <laughs> totally ignorant or like everyone's mm. ignorant. It's just kind of complicated. Um, and uh, so I, I was like my entire life, I've been terrible at asking questions. I remember in school, like if I didn't know something, I like sometimes just like, you know, would never ask, you know, the teacher's assistant, like, a, you know, I, I just have been really bad about that my whole life. And it really, uh, in fact, mm -hmm. like the imposter syndrome associated with that um, was super duper strong with me. But also um, in software, there is the miracle of like so many resources online. So you can kind of like help, you know, get through some of this stuff without facing some of those, um, those, you know, dilemmas of insecurity. Um, but it, it was a pretty constant thing. I think like, uh, you know, I see it with other people. Everyone sort of faces their insecurities in different ways. Um, I think I really knew mm -hmm. this about myself, though, even before I got into software. And so um, I just sort of identified with that as just a thing I never thought would go away. Um, but I think uh, through running this, through running the, the Practical Dev Twitter account, um, it, it really, like, it gave me, you know, a lot of... Um, opportunity to work through a lot of my insecurities um through just kind of being super honest about some of this stuff like um being just 
generally becoming better at software, but also wanting to write and help other people kind of overcome these issues. And in doing that, you sort of realize a few kind of aha moments or ways to deal with these things. So like, uh, I've become pretty explicit about like, uh, looking backwards in time and realizing like how much I've learned since a previous point. So I think like no matter where you are with your own like lack of self-confidence or, or any insecurities you're feeling, it's pretty easy to look back, like look at two years earlier and like the kind of mistakes you were making, the technology you had such a, you know, such a weak grasp on, like, you know, the simple sort of processes that you just couldn't, you know, figure out. Maybe, maybe you just like, it took you, you know, a year to like, figure out what continuous deployment meant or even though people you could you, you could no matter how many definitions you read you just didn't understand what the hell that was all about but then maybe maybe today <laughs> you use it all the time and and you like because you know eventually you got into a, a you know maybe a role where where it was just part of the job and and you just learned by doing or it just eventually clicked um and sometimes we don't look back and give ourselves credit for how far we've come so um, just kind of like, you know, trying to help other people figure some of this stuff out really helped me um, develop like explicit um, practices around that. And, and then, you know, in one sort of moment of self-reflection, I had the feeling that I generally don't feel like I have imposter syndrome kind of anymore. Like, I still mm -hmm. like have insecurities around what I do and don't know. And it comes out a little bit, but it doesn't like, it doesn't, you know, meaningfully like make me, you know, consistently nervous. Like I think, uh, I still, I hope I don't lose empathy for those who do feel that way because that would really like, uh, put a damper on, on everything I'm trying to do. But the, um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I, I sort of had the realization that like, there was a feeling of like, you know, obvious imposter syndrome in the past. And um, in the, you know, in the present, it's just entirely different. Uh, I feel much more open to like, you know, admitting my weaknesses or um, acknowledging my strengths, you know, like all the kind of things that are like, you know, feelings of, of a lot less insecurity. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I have the privilege of sort of blending in um, as a as a a white male American of average height and build like uh, it, it's you know it's pretty <laughs> easy for me to just kind of like assume you know any sort of typical professional role if I'm not looking to um, if I'm not like uh, if I'm looking to work in software it's pretty easy to blend in in different scenarios. Um, which is just like it it helps all with all of these things um but you know early on that didn't really help my psyche that much but eventually um eventually mm -hmm. just you know with a lot of a lot of hard work and just improvement as a developer but also like helping a lot of other people uh you eventually are like damn like i still have insecurities but i'm kind of uh i'm kind of i'm kind of through all of this and i can i can spend more time helping mm -hmm. others than really worrying about my own um my own you know strengths and weaknesses too much yeah i kind of had a similar experience where i well maybe a little different i i felt imposter syndrome at the level i would call it a syndrome where it was like a pattern that threw my everyday life completely off course um and then i i 
at a certain point just kind of came out and acknowledged how badly I was feeling it and just like laid everything on the table and said, like, I, I feel like I don't know how to do any of this. And like doing that and being open about it relieved it quite a bit. And then over time, I've now realized, oh, I don't feel that sensation almost at all anymore. I feel insecurity, but I don't have this like pattern that I would describe as a syndrome uh, anymore, uh, which, yes, yeah, so that's a really cool feeling uh, to look back and see that. Um, but I also think that uh, one thing I can kind of pull from the story you just told was that you're an extremely introspective person. And I think a lot of engineers uh, aren't and would benefit a lot from building that skill set. So is that something that you've intentionally built or is it something that you've always had as a part of your personality? Uh, just that ability to kind of look inward and critique yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like it seems like I've been pretty introspective my whole life, but um, it's it's like kind of inherently impossible to understand like to know if if i'm that different from anybody else like you know i have to like <laughs> ask someone how introspective they are um but sure it does seem to be uh both um kind of part of my life like i've always been like a, a quiet contemplative type um with like with lots of like different random experiences like uh I don't think I um mm -hmm. I don't think I come from like an overly uh an overly typical kind of like upbringing but also not overly um just just kind of like just different enough in a lot of different ways where I can fit in without like 100% fitting in um just in in little things like um I was raised in a in a Buddhist community in Nova Scotia um where mm -hmm you know, in 90% of the way I fit in culturally with my peers, but not celebrating Christmas is kind of just enough of a little bit of a, of a difference or like little things like that. Um, <laughs> but I don't celebrate Hanukkah mm -hmm. either. I just, you know, we had our, we had our own little yeah. traditions and um, that's, I think that like little things like that, I think helps me. And like, I think like, you know, in that sense, I'm more like other people in my family than, than other people um, from my hometown in that we all kind of, um, um, you know, and my parents, obviously they both, uh, so they like ran away from home pretty much to like change their, uh, their lives in the seventies and stuff. So come from like a, an interesting background, mm -hmm. I think, which, um, uh, which gives uh, a lot of permission to kind of be introspective, um, in some of these things, uh, a lot of meditation when I was younger, which I think has to count for something. Um, and, you know, and all that, that's just my upbringing, but like hard to know, like really what's responsible for what, but you know, I had this like kind of unique situation where probably hurt my capacity to, um, to like fall in line and just like follow a pretty typical career path. Like I've always been a little bit like had a harder mm -hmm. time just like following the, the, the simple rules laid out. Like I make it harder on myself in, in a lot of those ways, but, but with all of that, um, came out with like, with yeah, maybe a, a certain skill set for like uh of self awareness, um, which I've tried to kind of make use of, um, you know, over time. But then also just like these like moments of realizing how non self aware I've been for months at a time. You know, it doesn't it's not like anyone is consistently all that self aware, but you sort of like um uh, mm -hmm. I think I've had a I think I uh I have these kind of click in moments where um have been able to kind of change course enough times and part of that was like when i was 
not really enjoying my like, you know, job, which was kind of a marketing job, um, or like a growth engineering job, you might say, but just like, the realization that like, I was like, really doing well, I got a cool job after college, but just like, that like aha moment of like, damn, like, I'm not liking this as much as I probably would like something else. Like, even though, even though I'd mm-hmm. come to kind of pursue that as my like, towards the end of college, like, this is where I'm going with my life. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, like, and then the aha moment, like, to realize, like, I wanted to focus on something long term instead of short term, like giving myself a 10 year plan for this current sort of um, uh, thing I'm doing, like, you know, it wasn't like I needed constant introspection, but like those moments were all like very introspective moments of just like looking back on uh, past projects I'd given up on, you know, for no particular reason other than that, that they weren't like runaway successes. And just thinking like, damn, mm-hmm. this was like seven years ago. Maybe I started this thing. Um, had I just continued to work on this at all, it would have been a massive success by by now. But as it stood, mm-hmm. I'd sort of like started and stopped like, you know, 25 different little things along the way. And, um, and just, yeah, just was not um, seeing the benefits of those things. So like, and it was all just like looking back on my own history to realize this. It wasn't necessarily something I needed to learn from, um, from, you know, any specific outside source, but you look back on your own history and you, you find a lot of interesting, interesting things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to, to focus, to focus in on your career a little bit more, you talked about these small projects that you pursued. Were you, uh, would you have called yourself a developer and were you writing code before you started doing those things or were those the things that kind of pushed you towards building your own products? Yeah, I always did some coding for everything like before and after I got my first real coding Mm -hmm. job um and some of it was like you know fully kind of full-on coding in a way like um maybe uh depending on the project like I did WordPress consulting and stuff um but the uh I never I didn't like allow myself the opportunity to just learn that those extra 10 things I needed to learn to really um, have a grasp on what I was doing. Like I was like a tinkering hacker mm-hmm. who was um, quick to learn whatever I needed to learn, but like uh, lacked the um, skills to go deeper on like anything. So I'd, I'd built like, you know, some things I'd even like release like, you know, a, like a native iOS app. Um, but it was like, you know, you like scour GitHub, you sort of use a, some people's code here and there, you find some Stack Overflow posts. Like mm-hmm. I had a real poor understanding of what any of these things were doing. I just um, I just had been around websites and computers long enough to, um, to like always know that I can hack certain things together if I, if I wanted to, but um just wasn't good at like actually reading the code I was using, like understanding the broader picture here. Like I I didn't really have a lot of good mental models for what was really going on under the hood. Um, So yeah, like I just, for, for a long time, like I, I just skipped a few too many steps, took a few too many shortcuts and 
just identified as being someone who did that. Um, and I still do mm -hmm. that to some extent compared to other, you know, people who just do software development, don't, don't try to spin up projects or be entrepreneurs or stuff. But so like being able to take the right shortcuts is, is important for um, creating things. But uh, I needed to really hone, you know, to really take the reins and, and uh, build, build successful software, I needed just a bit more explicit education. And also just, I needed to identify as a software developer. Um, I, I really, uh, really didn't, I didn't know where like the coding part fit in with other things I was doing or wanting to do. And um, mm -hmm. it was the realization that like, once you need to like have a career, uh, you know, there's certain like table stakes for like getting things done or like, it's just like, I, I had the, it was great that I was able to realize like I needed to, um, I needed to be a software developer to, to get anything I wanted done, done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that's probably obviously a very valid path of just basically being a hacker. Um, and then eventually uncovering something that you've you've figured out that no one else has really stumbled upon. But would you personally encourage people to follow that pattern or would you say, no, take a more traditional route? What would be your advice to someone who wanted to emulate some of the things you've done to, to build software and build companies? Yeah, I would I would always encourage people to just learn um, software traditionally if they are if they feel capable of doing that, like at the time I, I, mm -hmm. I, um, you know, dabbled in it and it just didn't really quite, quite work out for me. Um, but I wouldn't discourage people from doing that. Cause I think it would be, um, you know, you're not going to lose your other creative side just because you're getting into the more traditional code thing. Um, and, you know, all else equal at any stage, I would encourage people to do that. Like I was, um, I was just doing a little bit of coding with my niece who's nine years old and, uh, she's just mm -hmm. getting into it for, because she, um, plays this game called Roblox and wants to kind of like do more with it. And it helps you learn to code. If you, if you want to create the, the, the game under the game, it's kind of like Minecraft. Um, so mm -hmm. with her, um, I would totally encourage her to just pursue computer science as long as that was interesting to her. Like, uh, but I also wouldn't tell people to feel like they've, you know, missed the boat by not doing that. I think like there's, um, there's good outcomes in either scenario. Like anyone who pursues a more traditional path, like by definition loses out on all the things you might have learned by not doing it. But if you're curious about it, I would also encourage you to go pursue the traditional path because, you know, honestly, like, unlike other traditional paths, like the traditional path of, of, uh, of, I don't know, being a lawyer or a finance person or something like, uh, learning to code is a pretty like, you know, independently valuable skill, no matter what you want to do. Um, and there's, there's, there's not a real, mm -hmm. uh, emphasis on certification, which is nice. Like, I think, um, I took a couple law classes in college and I had a really good time doing that. But if I wanted to practice law, I'd need like 10 more years of school. Um, 
I think code gives you the freedom to like dip in and out as you choose, um, pursue the path to whatever extent you want to, um, become as educated as you care to be, and then take those skills and, and move on. Um, I was always a little less patient with the whole thing. But if, if, if I'm talking to someone who has more skills in patience, like is more capable of being patient in the first place, I would definitely not, um, not, I wouldn't encourage them to, to, to leave the path unless they just weren't having, um, enjoying it. But, um, I think like people, there's a lot of potential paths and, uh, I would definitely encourage people to think, um, software development as a long-term opportunity, no matter what sort of windy or traditional path you take. Ben, I want to ask a question that I ask everyone that I, I bring on my podcast. And the purpose is to humanize people that I interview who might who might appear outwardly to, to sort of have everything together and figured out. Would you mind sharing something that you consider yourself to be bad at? Yeah, I mean, earlier I mentioned email and calendars and stuff. I, I think uh, that stands out in my life. But also, uh, Git. I think I'm pretty bad at Git. Um, I mm-hmm. I don't really like make big mistakes anymore. But I sort of overcame my capacity to make mistakes by sort of um, really dialing back what I even try to do. So, um, <laughs> so I really rely on my teammates and my coworkers, and you know, um, who I am empl- like they're employees. Um, you know, I'm their boss, but like they're, they're the ones who really ensure that our version control stays good because, um, that's an area where I, I'm getting, you know, better and better all the time, but, um, I'm still typically like a little bit worse at wrapping my head around my own branching than even, you know, you know, a junior person we hire. Um, and that's just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know, like my, I, my brain has a hard time, like, you know, learn, like dealing and remembering, um, with, with that specific, uh, technology, um, which we all have to use. And I'm perfectly like, um, capable of doing my job with what I do know. But whenever I like, uh, whenever I hit a snag, I almost always have to ask somebody like, even like basic things that like, you know, a lot of people learn on like day one. Um, I don't know. It just hasn't never stuck. I, I mean, it was too much of a like, too much of a hacker, too much of a shortcut taker. And uh, eventually, like, I just, um, you know, like skipped too many steps, like in my career without having to really learn Git that I still would, you know, it would probably shock you how much I uh, just, um just like it's not my best thing but you know but then even like talking about it like just recently i feel like i've become better you know like um it's like i still mm-hmm. like you know if compared to other things i do well you know per se it still kind of stands out as as you know something i'm pretty hilariously inept at even even the most the more <laughs> i try but um the uh but even talking about it, like I just like have kind of become more comfortable with a few commands here and there just recently, and uh, and I think in a year I'll be mm-hmm. that much better. Um, but I'll never. It seems unlikely it'll ever be a strength of mine because a lot of people are really good at it, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's not me. I'm kind of definitely uh, 
I try not to have too many opinions too. Like if we have a, uh, if we want to change how we do our branching um, or anything like that, I tend to cede to other people for their opinions. Um, but it's also funny. I've like seen people on dev, like mention, you know, since we're open source, like all, all my work is, is in the open. Everything I do is out there. Like people can see what I'm doing with my branching. And I saw someone like mention like, Oh yeah, I like how mm-hmm. Ben does it. And I'm like, that's surprising to me because um, I'm just like trying my best here, feeling things out and like trying to just like follow people's instructions and um, have uh, never felt like I want to be telling anyone how to do their job with, with version control. Um, so it's funny mm-hmm. when occasionally people will, you know, like just reference um, my just practices in any capacity positively there it's a real like a moment of realizing like hey you know what like a year ago i would have not even had the discipline to do this kind of basic branching strategy so now i'm better than better than i was um so you know like uh pretty confidently say that like i'll always be lagging in this particular area compared to other things i am good at Cool. Well, before we wrap up, Ben, uh, if people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Um, yeah, I guess they can follow me on Twitter, Ben D. Halpern. Um, follow me on dev, dev, dev.2 slash Ben. Um, uh, my website, benhalpern.com. Um, I think I want to make more use of that too for like personal things. I, I might want, I might start blogging a little bit more on like non-dev stuff. Um, there which i don't really do now mm-hmm. but uh you know that's never not gonna i presume i will still own benhalpern.com once this comes out or in the future so regardless of what i'm doing with that like it's a, uh, it will at least <laughs> be a pointer to other places where you can find me um so uh yeah and like i'll uh for the foreseeable future me and the team will be working on our our little social network of software developers and uh, hopefully we can, you know, make a bigger and bigger impact on, on people's lives and the listeners and, and just try to solve problems that software developers face in their careers and their, and their education and their, their social, uh, you know, sense in the world. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. And I, I will add uh, benhelpern.com is, is the personal website all developers should aspire to build. I actually, I, I have in the back of my mind, I may, because I want to be, use it like more usefully, I may like, uh, I may like change up the design, but yeah, people should see it while it's still, while it's still great. (laughs) (laughs) And all its glory. Cool. Awesome, Ben. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.